Luxury is meant to be livable. Discover the new leather collection at Ashley with premium quality leather sofas, recliners, and more, all built to last. No matter how many spills, scuffs, or pet-related mishaps come its way, the leather collection at Ashley is made with the durability you need for the whole family. Shop the new leather collection at Ashley and find chairs starting at $499.99 and sofas at $599.99. Ashley, for the love of home. Good evening, everyone. We have a lot to get to on this Friday, including disturbing attacks from the so-called back the blue crowd against a police officer who's credited with saving lives on January 6th. But we begin the readout tonight with the U.S. on the cusp of ending the longest war in its history, a war that sadly took the lives of 13 American service members yesterday, along with more than 100 Afghans. President Biden has vowed to hunt down those who carried out the attack and make them pay. It comes as the president's national security chiefs have warned that another attack in Kabul is likely. And we hope that that doesn't happen. But the sad truth is that this is what being at war and extracting yourself out from the middle of a civil war looks like. And it's precisely why Biden is trying to bring it to an end and why most Americans agree with that. But instead of taking this somber moment to focus on the threat abroad or to try to comfort the families of the dead, It seems Republicans are doing nothing but searching for a position that will pay off for them politically in 2022. Except they can't seem to decide between the usual warmongering or calling for the president's resignation. And remember, it was the clown show of the past administration that brought us here in the first place, including releasing 5,000 Taliban fighters, one of whom is now running Afghanistan, something they very much would like for you to forget. I'll be meeting personally with Taliban leaders in the not-too-distant future. And we'll be very much hoping that they will be doing what they say they're going to be doing. They will be killing terrorists. They will be killing some very bad people. They will keep that fight going. When I hear... General McKenzie say that the Taliban is going to protect us. The Taliban's the enemy. I dealt with the leader of the Taliban. This is not this is not a very simple man. This is not a Boy Scout. We have seen uh, the senior Taliban leadership working diligently to reduce violence from previous levels during similar time periods. And so um, we still have confidence that the Taliban leadership is working to deliver on its commitment. I can say this much. Uh, the, the Taliban aren't looking for international recognition. This is not a regime. These are butchers. These aren't people who care about a seat at the table at the United Nations. And then there are the forever war thirsty Republicans who want to make this week's tragedy the excuse to reinvade Afghanistan for, you know, who knows how long. I think we should retake more airfields throughout the country that will take troops on the ground. It will take a complete reassessment of our strategy, but the military can do it. We are going to expand this operation. I'd put more military in there. I'd get every single American out and I'd start killing bad guys. What Joe Biden needs to do now is reverse course. He needs to stay at that airport as long as necessary, reopen Bagram if necessary to make sure we get every last American citizen out of Afghanistan. So, of course, none of this is deterring the president, who again addressed the tragedy today and the vital work that is ongoing. Mission there being performed is dangerous and has now come with a significant loss of American personnel. And uh, it's a worthy mission because they continue to evacuate 
uh, folks out of that region, out of the airport. We've evacuated more than 12,000 additional people out of the airport in the last uh, 24 hours. More than 114,000 people have now been evacuated from Afghanistan, the largest airlift undertaken by any country ever. Joining me now is Senator Chris Murphy of Connecticut, member of the Senate Foreign Relations Committee and someone I follow on social media. I and mean, I've been listening to what you've been saying, both on social and in television interviews. And I am 100 percent with you on this. You know, for those of us who were dubious about the idea of occupying a country like Afghanistan, that we don't know the culture, that that's, that's you know, we're not going to turn into some sort of Jeffersonian democracy when we can't even get our own democracy to work here. Um, we can't even get people to, you know, protect themselves from covid. It didn't seem like a great idea to me in the first place. I think a lot of Americans are relieved it's coming to an end and support the president in this. But let me I want to let you hear what the president said yesterday. Let's go back a day and what he said about what his alternatives looked like. Take a listen. Imagine where we'd be if I had indicated on May the 1st, I was not going to renegotiate an evacuation date. We were going to stay there. I'd have only one alternative. Pour thousands of more troops back into Afghanistan. Senator, it sounds like some of your colleagues on the Republican side would very much like for us to do that. Pour tens of thousands of troops back into Afghanistan. What do you think? Uh, well, Joy, thanks for having me. First, uh, let me say that our collective hearts are, are breaking for uh, the families of those that uh, were lost yesterday in Afghanistan. We hope there isn't any more news like that to come, uh, despite the threats Amen. that continue to the airport. Uh, but but you are uh, but you are very right. Um, the Republican Party has been very clear that their desire is to stay in Afghanistan forever. Uh, they may not initially say it that way, but what we know definitively now is that there was never going to be a moment when the United States military was going to be able to create a fully functioning, independent, and competent Afghan military and government. If we couldn't do it in 20 years, we weren't going to do it in another 10 or another 20. Uh, and so, uh, well, what you're seeing today is absolutely horrific. It's tragic. Uh, there, frankly, was no way, in my mind, to avoid this kind of chaos and panic on the ground when the Afghan military collapses in a matter of 24 hours. And to me, it is just proof positive that the decision to leave was the right one. There's lots of folks in Washington who make a lot of money off of war, whether you be a think tanker or a defense company lobbyist. Um, nobody is happy when a war comes to an end because the money stops flowing at the level that it was in this town. That's not the only reason that we were in Afghanistan, but it's part of the reason. And Republicans are going to perpetually cheerlead for more and more forever war, despite the fact that the American people still support what Joe Biden did. This, this disconnect between the foreign policy establishment and the American people has been ongoing for a long time. The American people want us out of Iraq and Afghanistan. Uh, Barack Obama knew that. Donald Trump do, knew that. But they didn't, um, I, I guess, have the ability to break with the military industrial establishment and leave. Joe Biden had the courage and the guts to do that. Um, but you are now seeing that establishment come down on him like a ton of bricks. Yeah, and absolutely. There is a, there's a war machine that wants to be fed constantly. And, it is, you know, President Eisenhower called it the military-industrial complex. You called it the military-industrial establishment. 
It's real, everybody. If you didn't believe it before, believe it now. But what's interesting is how uh, taciturn some of these Republicans are, because they may love the military industrial establishment, but they love Donald Trump more. I just want to give you a couple of people who have had shifting views on this idea. Uh, Josh Hawley, uh, this was on April 13th. President Biden should withdraw troops in Afghanistan by May 1, as the Trump administration planned. The better late than never. It's time for this forever war to end. So he, he loved it back then. August 26th, he's like to say that the day's loss of American lives in Kabul is sickening, does not begin to justice what happened, just what happened. It's enraging on and on and on. Biden is responsible. It's now clear beyond all doubt he has neither done on and on and on. So suddenly he's turned his, uh, because it's a different president. Kevin McCarthy, everybody thought Hillary Clinton was unbeat. I mean, sorry, we're not going to go Kevin McCarthy. Um, well, we can go on and on. Ted Cruz, a lot of them who were all for the deal that Donald Trump made to get out and were demanding that Joe Biden live with that deal are now pretending that they never thought that. So is this, um, in your view, more about 2022 and them trying to build some sort of a case that will help them politically? Because it doesn't seem to be authentic. Well, I think it's more about this uh, sort of instinctual reaction that Republicans have to oppose anything and everything that a Democratic president is going to do. Uh, I remember that some of the most hawkish Republicans uh, opposed President Obama's plans to bomb Syria in the wake of the chemical weapons attacks. Now, I opposed it as well, but it was pretty shocking to see people like Marco Rubio voting against it. Uh, many of them were against it simply because Obama was for it. I guess what worries me most in this line of Republican magical thinking is that, um, you know, many of them are forgetting that it's Donald Trump's decision to bring all the troops out, save for 2,500, that put Joe Biden in the position as to whether to keep those troops there and essentially lead them to slaughter uh, because that wasn't enough to hold against the Taliban, withdraw them, or put 10,000 more troops into the country, something that the American public didn't support. And so I'm glad that Biden has sort of called this, 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 this out and made it clear that it was Donald Trump's decision to leave. It left Joe Biden with really only two options. One, get everybody out or a massive surge back into Afghanistan, which, frankly, the facts of the case just would not merit. Can you, to, to, as an insider, as somebody who's in Washington and dealing with this sort of world and this military industrial establishment, as you call it, how do we reduce their power? Because it does seem that every president winds up in somewhere or other in a war, uh, in a situation where they are deploying our military. And unless you have a family member in it, most Americans kind of look the other way. You know, there's not night. There haven't been nightly stories about Afghanistan. All of the hand wringing we're seeing in the media about Afghanistan and all the umbrage. It's not like any of these folks have been doing nightly stories on Afghanistan. It's fallen out of the American memory. It's gone into the memory hole. And then all of a sudden, everyone's an expert on Afghanistan. How do we reduce that power? Is this about reducing the power of lobbyists? Is it about the money? Is there some way to disentangle it? Our military budget is the biggest on earth and people want to use it. They don't want to just have it. Yeah, and, and listen, I don't want to make it sound like it's all a matter of nefarious motivation. Um, you know, there are a lot of well-meaning people, um, especially in the think tank community, who, you know, are constantly proffering plans for how the United States can fix very difficult problems on the other side of the globe. And while most of those plans only work uh, on paper and not in reality, there's a lot of folks that aren't necessarily making profit off of um, making the case for America to go into places 
places like Afghanistan. Uh, the problem is, is that when we try to solve problems around the world, the only tool that we have is the U.S. military. And so it's frankly up to us in Congress to use this moment right now when Democrats control the House and the Senate to reorient the toolkit of an American president to say, listen, we are going to give the State Department and USAID tremendous new resources so that when a president decides that he wants to fix a problem somewhere, he doesn't only have military trainers or arms sales to deploy. I think responsibility is also on the media. Uh, I mean, the fact of the matter is the media doesn't didn't seem to be very interested in Afghanistan when the war was being conducted. 10,000 Afghans killed or were badly injured in 2019, but almost no attention. It's the withdrawal that seems to get all of the attention. So if we want it to be a little bit harder to stay in a war and a little bit easier to get out of wars, then I also think the media has to even out the balance of their coverage between when we're having boots on the ground versus when we're taking them out. You can get an amen. Again, it is not Sunday, but you can get an amen uh, on that regarding the media. You're absolutely right. Thank you very much. We really appreciate you, Senator Chris Murphy. You're great. Have a great weekend. All right. You're uh, up next on The Readout. Thanks. Cheers. I am afraid because I know there's people that disagree with my actions on January the 6th. But I hope they understand I did my job. He may have saved dozens of lives on January 6th, Democrats and Republicans, and yet some on the right are calling him a murderer. Mary Trump joins me to discuss. Plus, you know that meme with the cartoon dog saying, this is fine. That's Ron DeSantis. His state is on fire with COVID. And yet he says with a straight face, this is fine. Biden, Biden should follow my lead. And despite that, he's not tonight's absolute worst. They believe that sometimes it's good when people suffer, even children. The readout continues after this. Luxury is meant to be livable. Discover the new leather collection at Ashley with premium quality leather sofas, recliners, and more, all built to last. No matter how many spills, scuffs, or pet-related mishaps come its way, the leather collection at Ashley is made with the durability you need for the whole family. Shop the new leather collection at Ashley and find chairs starting at $499.99 and sofas at $599.99. Ashley, for the love of home. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. With the Internet's best converting checkout, 36% better on average compared to other leading commerce platforms, Shopify helps you turn browsers into buyers. In fact, Shopify powers 10% of all e-commerce in the U.S. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash podcast free. All lowercase, shopify.com slash podcast free, shopify.com slash podcast free. And by the way, who shot Ashley Babbitt? Who shot Ashley Babbitt? Who shot Ashley Babbitt? Everyone deserves to know who killed her. We still don't know his name. Why hasn't that officer that executed Ashley Babbitt been named? They know who shot Ashley Babbitt. They're protecting that person. They covered up who shot Ashley Babbitt. For months before Capitol Police Lieutenant Michael Byrd revealed his identity in an interview with NBC News, the former president and his allies have been relentlessly trying to out him. But the truth is, members of the far right media had already begun piecing together clues about his identity as early as February. It wasn't long before Byrd's name was being bandied about on right wing websites. And Trump himself confirmed earlier this month that, quote, we know who he is. 
In other words, they've known his identity for some time. And they knew he was black. In fact, Trump ally and infamous birther Dinesh D'Souza called, uh, could, could focus on little else when he publicly announced Byrd's name way back in April. Well, I happen to know the name of that cop, but you really have to dig to find it. By the way, the guy is Lieutenant Michael Leroy Byrd. Uh, that's the guy who did it. But you'll almost not see that in a single media report. You know why? Because he's black. What I'm trying to get at here is that if you're black and on the left, you really have a sort of pass in our culture. Huh. That was in April. And it explains a lot about the right wing's dangerous obsession with Officer Byrd. And while we can't pinpoint exactly when Trump first learned of Byrd's identity, it certainly cast Trump's threats in an even more ominous light. You know, if that were on the other side, the person that did the shooting would be strung up and hung. Strung up. Now, in the wake of Lieutenant Byrd's interview with Lester Holt, right-wing pundits like Tucker Carlson are again working overtime to portray Ashley Babbitt as a martyr while demonizing Lieutenant Byrd. Never mind that Babbitt was at the forefront of a violent mob trying to breach the House chamber. He's calling her a mere protester. And he's mocking Lieutenant Byrd for doing the job he was trained to do, which possibly saved lives. So she was an unarmed protester. I don't think we execute unarmed protesters, do we? Well, we just did. No one's apologized for it. He's a hero. Michael Byrd executed an enemy of the Biden administration, so they're praising him. But if we call that courage, we've devalued the term. Hashtag black the back the blue, right? With me now, Mary Trump, Donald Trump's niece and author of The Reckoning, Our Nation's Trauma and Finding a Way to Heal. Uh, Mary, it's always great to see you. I'll tell you, I it, it was yesterday that I found out that Lieutenant Byrd was black. I had no idea. I had heard that day earlier in the day um, that he might be. And I ran into Lester Holt you know, here at the studio and didn't even think to ask him because it just it, I hadn't, hadn't thought of it. I didn't assume that he was. So it shocked me when I saw him and I immediately got really afraid for him. And now I'm thinking back to all the times that, you know, that your Uncle Donald said, we know who you are. And now hearing Dinesh D'Souza back in April already knew his race. I feel like the threats against him, they, it all feels more ominous now. Does it feel more ominous to you? It feels extraordinarily ominous. And it's um, I think it's a perfect distillation of exactly where we are right now. Uh, it's horrifying. On the right, the uh, gaslighting, the projection, they're accusing the left of things they're actually doing. It's It all feels like it's really getting out of control. And again, I think a lot of this has to do with the fact that people on the right, particularly powerful white men, get away with things with impunity. There's never any accountability. And they will take any opportunity to twist things in a way that advantages them somehow. It's it's a quite tragic irony that Lieutenant Byrd is a black man and Ashley Babbitt was a white woman, because that's a horrible trope that I'm sure the right is going to take advantage of. And we can't let it happen. Unfortunately, there seems to be nobody in 
Republican leadership who has the courage to uh, put a stop to it. Right. I mean, I'm thinking of all of the incidents of white officers killing a black man or woman in bed, you know, who posed no threat. I mean, we do a lot of reporting on policing. And in some of these cases, the victim is asleep, sitting on the couch uh, in the car with a, you know, with a dad, with a uh, an air freshener hanging, doing absolutely nothing and posing no threat. None of these people ever say anything. But that's a, a, a white officer killing a black person. They don't they don't they're not interested in that. They don't care about that. But suddenly they're obsessed with this. Dinesh D'Souza didn't only say in April about uh, point to birds race and make it a specific thing and make it a topic of conversation. He did it again in July, claiming that Byrd's name was concealed because he's black. And uh, let's remind you that who Dinesh D'Souza is, is a guy who was a, he was convicted of a felony in 2014, got pardoned by Trump. So he's not exactly an upstanding citizen. He is obsessed with the idea that he's black. And now you've got Tucker. All of these people who are so who are real fascist curious are obsessed with his race. Is, is, do you believe that Donald Trump might have known when he was saying we know who you are, that this man was black? Yeah, of course. I, he was in a position to to know. And I'm, I believe that he kind of kept it under wraps and just hinted about it to um, to stir up anxiety and to build drama because that's what he does. And then, of course, he handed it off to other people like D'Souza and Carlton. Um, Carl, sorry, Fishdex, whatever his name is. And they then run with it and continue to engage in this fascistic rhetoric, like saying immigrants carry diseases and it's immigrants who are sickening us with COVID, even though last I checked, Florida doesn't share a border with anybody who's not in the United States. So it's it's so dangerous and it feels, again, like it's out of control because they they are willing to take advantage of any circumstance yeah. to spin the truth on its head. We're seeing this in Afghanistan. We're seeing it with Lieutenant Byrd. And it's um, I, it's hard to know where when there will be an end in sight if the Democrats keep trying to play ball with these people. Well, I mean, the, the, I mean, we, to, I didn't use it in the last segment, but Ted Cruz, you know, is out there saying, yes, we should rescue these Afghans, but don't send them here. Send them to a third party country. They shouldn't be here. The, the, you know, fascism is about demonizing an other and raising up, right, the in-group and the yeah. in-group being white Christians. And they're saying everyone else is the other. And they are obsessed with race in a violent, ugly way. I can't get away from the F word fascism here. Uh, Mary Trump, it's always great to talk with you. Thank you very much. Scary subjects, but scaring is caring. Thank you. Joining me now is Cedric Alexander, former member of President Obama's task force on 21st century policing and a former public safety director in Georgia. And, you know, I, I guess I'll ask you the same thing as somebody with a law enforcement background yourself. I don't know if you knew if you were if you're also yesterday old and knowing that this man was black. Um, but, but when you found out that he is a black police officer, we now know shot and killed legally um, a white, um, you know, insert insurrectionist, how that hit you as a law enforcement officer? Well, let me first of all say this, Joy, for someone who spent over 20 years as a police executive, just an executive role itself. I've had a number of police officers, white and black, all shapes, sizes, and colors who have been involved in officer-involved shootings. And at the end of the day, for me, it doesn't matter what color they are. Did they conduct themselves appropriately? Did they conduct themselves according to their training and by law? And that's all that was important. And to this case, as it relates to Lieutenant Byrd, Lieutenant Byrd and that entire U.S. Capitol 
I think we all would have to agree there was something very serious going wrong that day as it was a threat to our U.S. democracy. And on that particular day, in that particular hallway, in that particular moment, Lieutenant Byrd had to make a decision, decision based on his experience, based on his training, not based on the fact that he was black or white or whether that was a male or female or she was black or white. But he did what he was trained to do accordingly by this U.S. government in this democracy that we live in to protect the integrity of the U.S. Capitol and those, quite frankly, who are elected officials on both the right and the left. Now, someone, absolutely, and someone like myself, who have a number of conservative views, particularly as relates to public safety and policing in this country, at the end of the day, right is right. This is not about color. This is about what's legally right. This is about true law and order. It is unfortunate. It was sad for the victim in this case. It was sad for the officer who had to pull that trigger. And unfortunately, it was a very sad day for this nation. So hopefully we never have to be confronted with something like this again. And Lieutenant Byrd's color should be totally irrelevant. And it, what we but it isn't. It, but it isn't because the threats against him are directly related to the fact that he's black. Let's just be clear. He's being right. targeted specifically. People like Dinesh D'Souza, who basically are just hellraisers on social media. All they do is try to whip up this 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 brand of the Trumpist right. And they're doing it specifically based on his race. He is fixated on the fact that this man is black. Let me just read the, the Capitol Police issued a statement saying the officer uh, was not originally being identified. Originally, they didn't want to identify him because for his safety. You know, he's facing threats. Um and, in, and you have to say that because Trumpism is so baited down and weighed down by racial resentment, that he is under more threat because he's black, right? As a black officer, isn't he at greater risk now? Well, I think it goes without saying, if you're a person of color in this country, you're that, always going to be a little more scrutiny, period. And that's under any set of circumstances. But if we go back and look at the four officers who testified, one being white, in front of Congress just a few weeks ago. You remember the threat that oh, he he's getting came threats up? too. That's right. Yep. And Michael Fanon. Right. So now you have Lieutenant Byrd, who would have come up under threat whether he was white or black. But the fact that he is black in this society, in this country that we live in, people will manipulate that for its own benefit. Yeah. But I have enough confidence, quite frankly, Joy, in this country and the residents and the citizens of this country but majority of the people are not going to be misled by this. We're going to learn from it. And then hopefully nothing like this ever happened again. Yeah. But that office, Lieutenant Byrd, operated within and under the color of law and his training. His, he, he was required to, if there is a threat, decide how much force do I need to use to stop the threat? That is actually the way that you determine if a shooting is legitimate, it was determined to legitimate, in fact, heroic, because the threat was real. You could hear it. You could see it. You could feel it through the TV. They were banging on that door and trying to come through that door. And there were people, white and black, on the other side. And he didn't care who was on the other side, white, black, whoever. He was protecting all of those people. You see it right there. This was not a protest, everybody. This was a threat. That man did his job. And I have been covering police shootings since 2012. That was a shooting that was unfortunate. Fortunate, sorry that somebody lost their life, but you can't argue with the facts. Cedric Alexander, thank you very much. Still ahead.
appreciate you. Have a great weekend. Still ahead, Florida Governor Ron DeSantis says his efforts to fight COVID have been a great success. Really, Ron? Then why are more of your state's residents catching COVID, being hospitalized for COVID and dying of COVID right now than at any previous point in the pandemic, Ron? We're back after this. Luxury is meant to be livable. Discover the new leather collection at Ashley with premium quality leather sofas, recliners, and more, all built to last. No matter how many spills, scuffs, or pet-related mishaps come its way, the leather collection at Ashley is made with the durability you need for the whole family. Shop the new leather collection at Ashley and find chairs starting at $499.99 and sofas at $599.99. Ashley, for the love of home. Florida Governor Ron DeSantis is unquestionably the worst governor in America when it comes to COVID. He's done the least to contain the spread and the most to prolong the pandemic for the rest of the country. The New York Times put it bluntly, the pandemic in Florida is worse than it has ever been at any previous point. But Ron DeSantis had the audacity to turn to his safe space, to run over there at Fox News and blame President Biden. You know, he said he was going to end COVID. Um, he hasn't done that. Uh, we are the first state to start the uh, treatment centers for monoclonal antibodies, having great success with that. That should have been a bigger plan, a uh, bigger part of this whole response throughout the country from the beginning. Yeah, you heard that right. Ron, the junior Don, had the nerve to say Florida is a great success. We should all be like Florida. Well, today, Florida reported a single day record for new cases, more than 27 thousand ICUs across the state are stretched to their limits. More cities are rationing water for supplies of liquid oxygen. A survey this week found 68 hospitals had less than 48 hours worth of oxygen supply. Yesterday, the state recorded the largest single day increase in deaths in pandemic history. Morgues at 10 hospitals are at capacity using rented coolers. And funeral homes report having bodies stacked to the ceiling. Now, on this planet, we will call that a failure. Meanwhile, Ron has been busy promoting his Regeneron pop-ups and pushing his relentless campaign to infect the Sunshine State's children via his idiotic mask mandate ban. Well, today, a state judge smacked him down in a big way, ruling in favor of a group of parents who sued, arguing the mask mandate ban was unconstitutional. Leon County Judge John Cooper blocked DeSantis's order, saying it is without legal authority and by definition arbitrary and capricious. Ron DeSantis, unsurprisingly, has vowed to appeal. Got to get more kids infected. Joining me now is Florida Agricultural Commissioner Nikki Freed. She is running for Florida governor. Uh, Nikki Freed, thank you for being here. Uh, Florida's lost 43,640 people to, to, to COVID since the start of the pandemic. Uh, Judge John Cooper re- essentially re- um, ruled that DeSantis doesn't have the authority to try to force schools to make it, let allow kids to come in maskless. And what he cited was the Parental Bill of Rights. And it's ironic that DeSantis had also cited the Parental Bill of Rights, saying that's what gave him the authority to tell school districts what to do. Do you think that this judge's ruling, what effect do you think it'll have uh, on the state of COVID in the state of Florida? Well, first of all, Joy, thank you for having me on tonight. And those headlines are are just heartbreaking. Um, when I heard of that ruling, I was actually at a meeting with a bunch of parents 
and teachers and school board members from Brevard County. And when I actually announced that that ruling had occurred and that he ruled with parents, with teachers and for democracy, uh, there was a cheer that went out loud in in this roundtable. And the school board member that I was sitting next to uh, immediately pushed a, a, to have a, I think I froze. But no, you're here. We can see you. Oh, okay. <laughs> okay. I thought you were calling so, somebody so, like, hello. Right. <laughs> we so got immediately, you. Immediately, as a board member, I heard that that ruling, she pressed an email asking for an emergency hearing um, for her Brevard County School Board. So I'm hoping that the rest of the school board members who were scared of the retribution that Ron DeSantis and our Secretary of Education was you know spouting for the last couple of weeks that they feel empowered to do right again by by their their kids and by their communities. You know, the, the, the Florida is such a mess right now. My former state, uh, your Surgeon General is is, is leaving. Um, he's leaving the administration. Mr. Rivkey, Surgeon General Dr. Scott Rivkey's, he issued a standing order allowing Floridians to be treated with Regeneron's monoclonal antibody drug without a doctor's note. He issued emergency rules detailing the school districts must allow their parent allow parents to opt their children out of mask mandates. I mean, it's probably a great thing that he's leaving. This man is a pediatrician. He didn't even appeal at the trial for the mask mandate ban. He didn't even bother to show up. I am terrified to think, does the governor get to appoint the next Surgeon General? Because who's he going to appoint? Dr. Scott Atlas next? Like, who's coming next? Yeah, that, that's a concern. But quite honestly, uh, Riff Keys has been MIA for a good part of over a year. Uh, I've been asking, where has our Surgeon General been? So the fact that he is resigning is really not going to change anything for our state because he's not been here. But yeah, unfortunately, DeSantis has, a, has an appointment and it has to go through the Senate. Uh, so it's a confirmation process, but I have no idea uh, who he's going to appoint next. But it's not like he's been listening to scientists and experts to begin with. So it's really not going to make a difference. Uh, DeSantis is going to do what he believes uh, is going to get him to that 2024 nomination for that's president. All he cares about. And unfortunately, that's all he cares about. And in the record numbers of children under 12, that is the largest group of children that are with cases right now is under 12 years old. And he's going around and threatening school board members and saying that we are fine. Again, he's taking this victory tour that we should have you know, been blaming President Biden for this. Um, we're, we're in an emergency here. And I've been asking for over three weeks uh, for him to declare emergency. I've been talking to parents and to teachers and to hospitals and to nurses and to doctors. They are terrified of what is happening out here. Our teachers um, are afraid to be in the classroom. Our parents are stuck with this impossible situation of whether or not uh, to put their kids back into school or to keep them home. And then what do they do for work? Um, the trickle down impact also on our economy, the impact on our healthcare system. Uh, this is a crisis. And I'm I, I'm heartbroken that that our state is having to go through this today. Yeah, it's almost like he wants COVID to spread as widely as possible and affect as many people as possible. I know it sounds wild, but it's almost as if he's doing the Scott Atlas. Let's infect as many people as possible. I don't understand it. It is bizarre and, and, and madness, but he's that's what he's doing. Nikki Freed, thank you very much. Really appreciate you being here. Still ahead uh, in tonight's absolute worst. The unbelievable reason. Unbelievable. A Wisconsin school board voted to opt out of our free food program for kids. But first, it's official. The Texas legislature has approved a sweeping elections bill that will make it as hard as humanly possible to vote in that state. Perfect. We're right back.
Remember that mass exodus of Texas Democrats who literally fled their state in order to block Republicans there from passing voting restrictions? Desperate times, desperate measures. Because that bill, which Democrats called Jim Crow 2.0, will prohibit drive-through voting centers and 24-hour early voting. It will also increase protections for partisan poll watchers. The 38-day walkout ended, allowing the bill to pass the Texas House today. It now heads to the Senate. This urgent state of voting rights in Texas and beyond is exactly why multiple events will take place tomorrow in Washington, D.C. and in cities throughout the nation, including March on for Voting Rights, a march demanding that the vision of of Dr. Martin Luther King Jr.'s I Have a Dream speech be deferred no longer. Thousands are expected to attend on this 58th anniversary of the historic March on Washington. And joining me now is Texas State Representative Jasmine Crockett, one of the Democratic lawmakers who fled her state to thwart voting restrictions, along with the Reverend Al Sharpton of the National Action Network, one of the sponsors for tomorrow's march, and who deserves a huge congratulations as we approach the 10-year anniversary of his show, Politics Nation. Thank you uh, for being here. I'm going to start with you, um, Representative Crockett. In the end, what did the walkout achieve if the bill is going to now pass? Um, First of all, it's great to see you, Joy. And uh, my heart has been broken for um, the last few days, knowing that some of my colleagues um, decided that it was best to give the Republicans in the Texas State House a quorum. Um, You know, while we did accomplish a lot, that's your question, um, we did not accomplish enough, in my opinion, to decide that it was time to go back. Some of those things that we accomplished is most, most people don't understand that H.R. 4 is a bill that had been filed over and over and over while John Lewis was actually alive. Yeah. And sadly enough, it can never get passed. It finally got passed in the House. We definitely started a movement in this country. We made it clear that voting rights is under attack um, so long as they can do this. Uh, at night, which is what they like to do in Texas, right? When nobody's paying attention and sweep it under the rug, then hey, who cares? Who knows, right? But instead, we basically rang the alarms and said, hey, listen up. Things are getting really bad. Our democracy is under attack. And so we were able to get movement on that bill. Speaker Pelosi told us, but for y'all walking out, I don't know if they really would have understood the urgency of getting this passed now. So yes, we got past the House, yeah. but we still got to get past the Senate. And we know that that's a different animal in and of itself. And, you know, Rev, one of the things I will say that the the Texas Dems uh, accomplished, the Dems who walked out and who in many, you know, fled to um, to D.C., they did show us the meaning of the word fight. And what it can look like when somebody has a has a real will to fight. I gotta tell you, I don't know if you hear this from folks, but this is what I'm hearing from a lot of Democrats. They don't see that kind of will to fight among D.C. Democrats. They see it when it came to getting their infrastructure bill. They're really fighting hard for that. But if they really meant it, that they really intend to have H.R. 1 and to have H.R. 4 become law, they'd fight like a Texas Democrat. And so I guess my question is somebody who's in those rooms and talking with the White House and talking with these senior, the senior leadership, at what point are they going to start to fight like the Texas Democrats did? I think that they will start fighting when we start fighting, which is why we're having the march tomorrow and marches around the country. And that's why we're marching to the Capitol, to the mall, where the rally will be facing the Capitol rather than going just to the memorial to remember what happened 58 years ago. We're under siege right now. And uh, what 
uh, I call Senator Crockett, I'm predicting a future, has uh, said is true. I remember when Martin Luther King III and his wife and I joined them and brought them to the King Monument. We said they started a movement because it shows states' rights is what we're talking about. What we're talking about right now, Joy, is that we return to states by states having the right to decide election law. And the whole idea of the civil rights movement was to get the federal government to stop states' rights, including in voting rights. That's what the Voting Rights Bill of 65 was about. And that's why, based on what they did, we now must make the Senate carve around the filibuster and give us this uh, Senate bill, which is H.R. 4. If they can carve around the filibuster, to confirm Donald Trump's nominees to the Supreme Court, what is more basic in a democracy than to have a carve-out to protect people's right to vote, particularly when they're being targeted by race? Uh, yeah, that would seem to be pretty logical. Um, you know, Representative Crockett, um, the irony here is that a lot of the rules, the 24-hour voting and making it easier to vote, was because of the pandemic. It made it easier not just for black Texans or brown Texans, but all Texans to vote. Do you think that one of the outcomes, uh, the unintended outcomes of what Republicans have done is that they're going to make it harder for their folks to vote, too? Or do you fear that what they've done is going to be effective at essentially shutting down the progress that's been made in registering and encouraging people of color in the state to vote? Yeah, that's a great question. Um, you know, I actually did a tweet not too long ago speaking about the one Republican that between these two bills, H.R. 4, as well as SB 1 in the Texas House, the only Republican that actually voted against um, the passage of SB 1, Lyle Larson, he understands that. Um, I recall, I apologize, I recall when he actually sent us a letter specifically stating that there were elections officials in Republican areas that were saying, hey, this bill is bad. And they were laying out the sections that were going to be problematic. When you look at our rural areas, what we see is that so many of them use vote by mail and they're making it more difficult. And so they actually may end up shooting themselves in the foot with this bill. But more importantly, what we see out of the intent of the Texas House is, number one, the Speaker of the House specifically said, you guys will not use the R word. You yes. won't use racism. You won't use racist on the floor. And the fact that you felt the need to say that tells you everything that you need to know about this bill. And the reality yeah, is that that is... They said you are not, and I, for the audience, just so you know, they banned the use of the word racism in debating the bill. They literally did that. that hello, First Amendment. They said you are not allowed to use the word racism. Okay. I'm, Rev, I'm going yeah. to I'm, I'm let you uh, get in and, and give you your thoughts on that. But first, I do have something I have to show you real quick, Rev. Uh, this is cut three for my producers. I'm sorry. I have to spring this on you. Check this out. Welcome to Politics Nation. I'm Al Sharpton. I'm going to do what I did all my life. I'm going to say what I mean and mean what I say. Watch the show because you will soon learn at this hour if Politics Nation is not on your television, your television really isn't on. And, and as Rev, as you would say, I got you. <laughs> I had to do that. I had to do it. Uh, Rev, happy anniversary. Uh, congratulations on 10 years. And I got you. 
Y'all have a wonderful week. Well, you got me. Thank you. Thank you. All right, Big Brother Ram. Uh, State State Representative Jasmine Crockett, Reverend Al Sharpton. Don't miss this weekend's Politics Nation 10th anniversary special Sunday at 5 p.m. Eastern. It is going to be amazing. Tonight's absolute worst is straight ahead. Don't go anywhere. It is said that Marie Antoinette's famous quote, let them eat cake, helped trigger a revolution. The queen's callous comments were just too much for the people to take. For most, her alleged words serve as a cautionary tale to warn of the dangers of indifference and heartlessness. For Republicans, however, it's a proud mantra. Take, for example, Waukesha County, Wisconsin, which voted overwhelmingly for Trump last year. Earlier this week, the school board refused to accept money from a federal lunch program that helps feed poor kids. I mean, why would people refuse to feed hungry children? As one of them said, the program made it too easy for families to become spoiled. If that wasn't disgusting enough, a county official said he was worried that the free lunches would become a slow addiction. Ah, yes. We wouldn't want hungry kids to become spoiled or addicted to food. Maybe they were inspired by the resident Grim Reaper of the South, Florida Governor Ron DeSantis, who is refusing to apply for up to $820 million in food assistance for more than 2 million kids. To put that in terms that y'all can understand, that means that the parents of kids who qualify for free or reduced lunches in Florida are missing out on an extra $375 during a pandemic. And DeSantis does this while flinging open the door to a variant that's targeting children with a ferocity we've never seen. Along those same lines, take a look at what Laura Ingraham recently said about people struggling during the pandemic. What if we just cut off the unemployment? I mean, yeah, hunger, is a, it, hunger is a pretty powerful thing. I don't mean physical hunger because people who truly in, are in need need help. I'm talking about people who can work but refuse to work. I'm sorry, what? Are there no workhouses? Are there no orphanages? I mean, what is wrong with these people? Oh, wait, I know. They love cruelty. They savor it. Cruelty is the point. Want another example? Just take a look at the conservative-led Supreme Court. Last night, that conservative majority cleared the way for evictions to resume across the country. Yay! Three and a half million Americans could now end up in the street, thanks to Justices Roberts, Alito, Thomas, Gorsuch, Barrett, and Kavanaugh. A decision they probably cooked up while sitting in the comfort of their million-dollar suburban homes. So on this Friday evening, I toast these Republicans as the absolute worst because it takes a particular type of person to look someone in need in the eye and then just turn your back on them and say, go hungry. Stop being so greedy. Why do you want food? I guess they really do believe that there is no such thing as a free lunch. Now, before we go, I do have one more thing to share with you that's not the absolute worst. Today, I did a very cool thing. I spent the afternoon at my favorite eatery, the famous Melba's Restaurant in Harlem, where Melba and the great folks from Harlem Hospital, including Hospital Prez, Ebony Carrington, and community leaders, including the great Hazel Dukes, uh, Dapper Dan, Bevy Smith, our friend Dr. Lippy Roy, and lots of other folks helped Harlem get, get vaxxed and safe from covid Here's the first wonderful person to step up to the van and stay healthy and safe by getting vaccinated to keep our community alive and well. So congrats to everybody that got vaxxed today. And thank you to the medical heroes who volunteered their time. And hey, 
William Reed Jr. and Brittany, I'm looking at you. I'm looking for y'all to get vaxxed next, okay? I told you I was going to call you out tonight, and now I did. And that is what I call a true moment of joy. And that is also tonight's readout. Um, thank you guys again. I have to really say to the staff at Harlem Hospital, you guys did yeoman's work. Melba Wilson, you are the woman. Today was a day that we really just cared for our community and loved our community. And that is what I think we should do with our platforms. Luxury is meant to be livable. Discover the new leather collection at Ashley with premium quality leather sofas, recliners and more all built to last. No matter how many spills, scuffs, or pet-related mishaps come its way, the leather collection at Ashley is made with the durability you need for the whole family. Shop the new leather collection at Ashley and find chairs starting at $499.99 and sofas at $599.99. Ashley, for the love of home.